Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on all things Disney+. Plus. As always, I am your host, Peter Eklund, and on this week's show, we get to go back into the MCU. It's been a very long time, um, and we're getting excited for the new show that's coming out this next week, which is WandaVision. And in order to get ourselves ready for that, we are going to be watching the first time we have seen Wanda and Vision um, in the MCU, and that would be in Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers 2. So for this, I welcome on my good friend, Terry Bonnie back on the show. Terry, thanks for coming back on. Thanks for having me. I've, of course. I will admit to you that at first, I was not super excited because Ultron is not one of my favorites. Okay. But now that I've sat and rewatched it, I'm actually very excited. Yeah, you know, this is kind of sat in the middle in regards to my ranking with the MCU movies for for a very long time. And I think what's interesting, because this is actually the first or one of the... Okay, I, I got to take that back. Um, I haven't watched this since Endgame. That's what I should say. I haven't watched this since Endgame came out. And watching it, I think... Things stood out to me way more, um, you know, and I, I'm very excited to get into that conversation because I'm a, I'm a huge MCU fan. I mean, I know you are as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. And I actually, when I sat and thought about it, I actually don't think I've watched this one since our employee screening at the movie theater, which yeah, would be the evening before it came out. And that's what I was just going to say. This is definitely one of those movies that I remember having worked at the movie theater, you know, through. Like, I remember, I think I first started working at the movie theater when the first Avengers, right around that. That, um, that was your, you either started working that weekend or got the job offer that weekend. Yeah, I think it was maybe a week or so before. I do remember ripping tickets. And that's usually when you're ripping tickets, you're you're fresh, you're a fresh noob. And... Um, my my first Marvel was Iron Man 3, and my first weekend working was The Hobbit number one. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And we saw so many. I mean, here's the thing. We probably saw all of the MCU. I think I saw from Avengers up through, I want to say, Captain Marvel. And some of those were towards the end there, Captain Marvel included were ones that I got in as a free guest to somebody else. Yeah, I'm um, trying to think of I know, for sure I've been I saw all of them for free starting with Iron Man 3, but I feel like I randomly saw a couple early ones. Yeah. What a, what a wonderful <laughs> time of our lives, huh? I I think about that fondly quite frequently. And and sometimes too it was always nice to actually see kind of cruddy movies um as well in those employee <laughs> showings because we could just you know have a blast and i remember one time we saw the tim burton film dark shadows and i remember our did friend I, lee did so i watch bored. that he lied down and fell asleep in the aisle because he was he hated the movie so much i can see johnny depp's face in my head from that movie which is not that different from any of his other faces honestly seriously i don't think i went to that one it i wasn't pulled, good don't i pulled worry. up the movie poster 
but I I fondly remember when the One Direction concert documentary came out and I talked all of you guys into going with me by buying you guys lunch. Mm. Or I don't candy. remember this at all. I don't recall. <laughs> I think you're lying to me right now, but all right. Well, let's, let me ask this. What have you been up to lately? It's been a while since you were on the podcast. I think it might've been what, Mulan? Mulan. Yeah. It might've been Mulan, the new one. What have you been up to? Um, I got another new job doing customer service, um, selling eyeglass frames, which sounds kind of boring, but it's actually really fun, and I love it. Um, I moved back in with my grandmother. She was living alone, Mm -hmm. and we thought maybe this would be better for her. So I am recording this from the bedroom that I grew up in. Oh, wow. It's bizarre, but um, the cats love it. I love it. Okay. And, you know, it's nice and calm and quiet out here, so. Cool. Cool. Wow. That is that is really interesting. That's crazy. A lot yeah. of change. Yeah. Wow. And how, you're feeling pretty good? Yeah, so far. Okay. Nice. What have yeah. you been up to? Uh, um. Well, kind of getting things planned and getting things ready for the next semester with with the ministry and just kind of plugging away with student leaders to kind of develop some ideas on how to go about this semester, obviously with COVID in mind and and trying to come up with some exciting things. Even honestly, this venture that I've taken with Extreming Disney doing a podcast, we might start a podcast um, through the ministry, which is kind of like cool. That's so, cute. I'm, yeah, I'm a fan. It might just be me and Chris Deemer and <laughs> um, talking about life. And then maybe if people are interested, they can send in questions that are tough questions and we can discuss it, you know? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. So, pe- you know, people can stay tuned and, and hear about that. Um, Chris Deemer is a legend in this area mm. and um, he'll be so much fun to get on a podcast. So it'll be exciting for sure. But hey, let's let's get going and talk about, you know, Avengers and Ultron and WandaVision. Sound good? Yes, yes. I took so many notes while I was okay. watching the movie. Great. You know, some of it is just like kind of train of thought stuff. And then sure. <clears throat> I took some notes on my thoughts about WandaVision today. Okay. So when we get to WandaVision, we can go over that. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, this is the, the second time we get to see the Avengers fully as a team come together. And this is directed by Joss Whedon, who did um, the previous Avengers movie, but is also primarily famous from doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, Felicity. He was a television ensemble cast person. And um, yeah, he was he was put into this and... I think um, we can talk about it kind of towards the end, how we feel like the movie came together as a whole. But, you know, from even this, after being done with Avengers, he went on and finished up um, Justice League, the movie that um, Zack Snyder was uh, was not able to finish at the time. Obviously, we're going to get the Snyder cut um, sometime this year in 2021. But, you know, he this was the last project, project he did with Marvel. And, yeah, what, I'm, what I think we're going to do is I'm going to go through a synopsis of this movie just to get everybody familiar and, and remember, um, kind of talk through the story quickly. 
And then because it's an ensemble cast, what I actually want to do is kind of look at the different story arcs and we'll kind of bounce around and, and talk a little bit, but you know, we'll kind of take it from that. How do you feel? Does that work for you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So here we go. The movie starts off with a bang as we see the Avengers doing what they do best, being heroes and kicking Hydra butt. Um, they follow the villain group to what they were trying to retrieve, which was Loki's scepter, the weapon that was used in the previous Avengers movie in order for Loki to recruit, you know, or control the minds of his recruits. Um, what they were not counting on, or the Avengers were not counting on, was the brother-sister duo of Wanda and Pietro Maximoff, otherwise known as Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. They're two um, Sokovian, that's the word, Sokovian orphans who had an axe to grind against Iron Man and therefore the Avengers. He's a speedster and she's a telekinetic mind-warping trickster um, who both received their powers from the help of Hydra and Loki's scepter. Um, While still on their mission to retrieve the scepter, Wanda uses her mind mojo on Tony for him to see his deepest fears and that actually gets what's used against him. And she does this actually with the other heroes throughout the film later on. But with this, Tony is motivated to protect the world against the mounting threat that he saw in the previous movie and the vision um, that was given to him by Wanda. Um, His answer to this is to use the scepter to create with Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, an AI suit of armor, in a sense, around the world known as Ultron in order to protect them against the further invasions that would come from an alien force. He ends up actually creating... Um, in which James uh, Ultron finds anatomy or anatomy and um, autonomy. That's not the word. That's the word. Autonomy. <laughs> anatomy would be if, I think totally if he different. found anatomy, yeah, if he found autonomy. anatomy, that would be a very different yes, movie. I am so sorry. Yes. Yeah, so we, we won't talk about that <laughs> Ultron movie. Um, he finds autonomy and evolves exponentially becoming the villain of the story. He creates a hive army of Ultron robots. And, um, and even when, um, then when they're destroyed they can come back and within another form so it's kind of like it's limitless the threat um, and he also recruits Wanda and Pietro to their cause promising a better world without the Avengers after a battle in Africa against Ultron and his recruits the team is left licking their wounds from the mind whammy left by Wanda and they retreat and regroup to come up with a game plan they are able to thwart uh, um, Ultron's plan to put the mind stone um, one of the Infinity Gems, is, which is within the staff of Loki, which is, gives us his power. Um, they, Ultron wanted to take that and put it within his own creation of an android called Vision. Um, but with the help of the Maximoff twins, they're able to stop Ultron from doing so uh, once they learn that he is ultimate threat. Um, but Ultron is able to escape with a captive Black Widow. We're wrapping up here, folks. Though, again, Tony cannot help himself, and he completes his own version of Vision with the help of um, heroes, or he comes actually as a hero to their fight. Um, and so the new members of the Avengers, Vision, Wanda, and Quicksilver, take the fight to Ultron with the, the whole crew that we know. And he plans to take this massive land chunk of Sokovia and throw it down back on the world in order to wipe out the Earth's population. Um, they are able to defeat Ultron, um, but they're left with departures of many teammates, which include Hulk, Iron Man, Hawkeye, and also the fatality of Quicksilver. But we are left with a new batch of new Avengers made up of Vision, Wanda, Falcon, War Machine, who will be led by Captain America 
and Black Widow. Whew. How was that? It's, they packed a lot into this movie, and it's running time is two hours and 23 yeah, minutes. Yeah, you feel it, don't you? <laughs> you do. I find myself one of those people who has a lot of fatigue when action movies are just start to finish action. So, like, I love Fast and Furious, but by the time you hit that third car chase, I'm, I've checked out. So, uh, that's one of the things sometimes with Avengers movies that's tough for me, especially when it's this long and they start with a battle. Yeah, because you're like, you're just, you're already exhausted. Oh, I'm not exhausted. I am geared up when I watch that scene because, like, <laughs> it's a really great way of, like, recapping and telling us who they are and what they each bring to the table, what their different abilities right. are, their different um, kind of what makes them tick to some degree. And I think it's a really great way to kind of familiarize us with it, with it again because maybe there's some people who, I, I don't know who would say this is the case, but they'll watch Avengers and then they watch Avengers 2 without watching the movies in between, you know? So you got to kind of catch them Those up. Those people and, are heathens. I know, for real. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think that scene at the very beginning and the party scene in Stark Tower are probably some of the <laughs> important it's a character scenes within the movie, you know, as far as it getting really, to know who they are. It really is. I think two overarching themes for the movie that stuck out to me immediately are how well Marvel does with their characterization of characters. And I honestly think that the only two I really feel failed by are Captain Marvel, which is a different podcast for a different day. And in some instances, Wanda, but everybody else is like fully formed has incredible personalities and they're really great at showing how they play off of each other and then the the other theme that they kick in really early in this movie to set you up for civil war down the road is that conversation about civilian casualty of property and of life which i i didn't jot down what made me write that down I don't remember if it was something somebody said in that first battle or like a, a particular shot, but they, they bring that in right. within that first scene of the movie. Yeah. yeah. Cause you, you have the iron legion of iron man's um, other iron man oh. robots kind of there to, you know, try to help and, and prevent any casualties, which. Oh yeah. That's what it was when they are evacuating Sokovia the first time around. Right. And I think also I, we see that later on in the movie as well, obviously, with before they go into the fight with Ultron in the very end, but also saving all the civilians. I think part of that, too, really, it's, it's kind of funny because we're going to jump universes here and talk about DC. This movie came out after Man of Steel. And a lot of the conversation Which... around Man of Steel was like there was so much property damage. So many people must have been killed, you know, in this final battle between Superman and, um, gosh, 
I forget, I'm forgetting the name of the guy he fought, but the Kryptonian. <laughs> Zorel was it Zorel? I can't remember. Um, but somebody somebody on the internet tallied up what their estimate of property damage was, and it was, if I remember correctly, it was in the billions. Oh, sure. sure, you're saying in, in the Man of Steel? Yeah. And I think Marvel is very smart in how they construct the movie because they're like, we don't want to make those mistakes and we want to I and I think they're just brilliant at doing this um well they they took that um that idea from Man of Steel that like everyone was laughing about and they really it really shows you that play of the difference between the comic book universe and the MCU that Civil War in the comic books is started by a, a group of like d-list superheroes that are filming a reality tv show right. well, and they accidentally kill a bunch of people right. we're, 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 but we'll now civil war for another day mm. let's talk about age of ultron <laughs> sound good okay. yes um what i want to do because this is going to be a long podcast if we're not careful is kind of break down the different character arcs and where i really want to start with this because i think this for me was post endgame after being done with endgame watching this movie again and watching Robert Downey and, you know, playing Tony Stark, playing Iron Man. Oh, there was so much within this that I was just like, yeah. Yeah. It hits, it hits so different after seeing Endgame now. Yeah. Because like what happens to him in the first Avengers movie and Iron Man three play right into where he goes in this movie. And what happens to him in this movie with his motivations affect what happens in infinity war and endgame moving forward go on you were gonna and and spider-man yeah you're right yep but it's just it's so it's so incredible to me um i had some family over this weekend and we were watching the first iron man and i was just really struck by you know i know in 2008 when iron man came out they were really kind of only stretching to 2012 let's get to the first avengers and then we'll see how it goes but kevin feige and john favreau and the whole team really just took such a risk to plant all of these seeds so early and not not so much with ultron because at that point they were ready to go right but to just plant these seeds so early and to ask us all to have the faith in them to just hold on yeah. and it worked. Yeah. And, and I, I, with this movie um, in particular, and you're right, you know, cause you invest early and you get the payoffs later on, obviously. Um, but we're given the notion in this where um, Wanda shows this vision early on when, when Tony has the scepter and he's given this vision where all the Avengers are dead and you see cap, you know, with all the other Avengers dead or dying, Cap says to him, you could have saved us. Why didn't you and do his, more? And his shield yeah. broken in half. Right, right. And so that motivation and that emotional arc and that, that thing that stays with him is what leads him to make the choices that he makes in creating Ultron. <clears throat> Which I also need to add as being the comic book guy that I am. In the comic books, um, you're not going to find Tony Stark, Stark, Iron Man, having created um, Ultron. That is actually Hank Pym um, in the comic books that does create. Oh, yeah. so that was something they changed up 
for this movie. Um, but honestly, I think it really works. I think it plays better to Tony than it does um, Hank. Um, and the comic books, I think it makes the sense that it's Hank. But in this, it really, yeah. it really works with it, his motivations. I think, I think MCU fans are equally as like the the parts of the Venn diagram that don't overlap between MCU fans and comic book fans, it makes sense because you have such less of their attention Mm -hmm. to get them to care about these characters. And without having introduced Hank Pym yet, it makes no sense to just throw Hank Pym in there and not have, well, I guess they came out. This came out before yeah, they're they were back to back yeah. though. I thought they were further apart. No, yeah, they were. I have the list. You're right. I have the list pulled up in front of me on my laptop. But to just like throw in a movie that's already so jam packed full of stuff, th- you would have just been like, "What? We already have two new characters that we're supposed to care about." Yeah, and I and I love too when um when Ultron first happens and he has that we have that big fight at the beginning in, in Stark Tower, and Thor runs up and like lifts up Tony by, you know, by his throat. And we have that confrontation because Tony, you know, in a lot of ways, he just can't help himself. You know, he's, he calls himself the mad scientist, you know, at the movie one point. And, but he mentions that's end game. What's coming is end game. And he, Oh yeah. Drops that within there. And you, Tony thinks he's talking about Loki's army, but you know, he's, not entirely wrong that the the threat is going to come from outer space yeah. he just doesn't know it yeah, yeah. he doesn't know that it, he doesn't really know thanos he obviously doesn't know thanos he doesn't know about the infinity gems we're all kind of learning and yeah i think at this point thor is the only one who knows what the infinity stones are right exactly um but i i had to write this down because you know, after uh, this is just a big part as far as his um, performance goes and understanding what's going on, because obviously was we have different players and they have they have different ideas or ideals and and thoughts about how things should be. You know, Tony being the futurist is kind of cursed with this whole notion of what could happen and inevitably what will happen. And so mm-hmm. he, he's always trying to protect the future. And that's why that vision is, is really stays with him as much as it does. And then when Nick Fury shows up, I love that scene. I think that scene stood out to me more this time than ever before. And, and Nick shows up and he says, artificial intelligence, and you never hesitated. And then I kind of summed up what Tony says here. And he says, <laughs> I'm the man who killed okay. the Avengers. I saw it. I didn't tell the team. How could I? I all saw them dead, Nick, all of them. I felt it. The whole world, too, because of me. I wasn't ready. I didn't do all that I could do. I wasn't tricked. I was shown. It wasn't a nightmare. It was a legacy. The end of the path that I set us on. I watched my friends die. And you'd think that it was as bad as it could get. Nope, it wasn't the worst part. And then Nick says, it's that you didn't die. (laughs) Um, It's that quote to me also is very important in Tony's development because his alternate reality that he is shown by Wanda of Cap's shield being broken and that line, I wasn't ready, I didn't do enough, those two were used so heavily 
in the promo material, I think at the time meant to be a red herring that something more serious was going to happen, but ended up being really prophetic for the movie because Tony's biggest fear, I, I kind of think is not necessarily the world ending, but the him not being able to protect the people that he cares about because you, you see it in the way that he treats um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man. He is so protective of that kid and feels like he walks around like he's got the entire world on his shoulders all of the time. And he just hides it behind jokes and right. his brain. And that's what I, I love too, even when like he's, he's seeing Ultron in that final battle and he's going, Oh, have you been juicing? You look kind of puffy. And then, you know, Ultron says you're stalling in order to save lives. And Tony's like, well, yeah, of course. Isn't that the idea? You know? <laughs> um, yeah. I, I love honestly getting a, I got a better sense. I've always been team cap in regards to these things um, in regards to these movies, you know, with civil war and everything like that. But, you know, in watching right. this again, I think, especially with the events of Endgame, I'm way more sympathetic and um, liking Tony more. And there's there's part of it, there's another thing I really love within this movie where, you know, basically he he creates what he dreads. And Ultron says that about him. And, but and he can't help himself, you know, as Nick calls him out. But then also, again, he can't help himself later when Vision is like dropped on his lap, basically, and he goes at it again and is successful. <laughs> and so I love that, you know, the first time it's bad. And then the second time it's right, in a sense, it proves to be the right call. Um, and I and it just kind of goes to show that it's not necessarily like a right and wrong situation, but more so the right thing at the right time and under the right circumstances. Right. So it kind of and just goes to show that with there, the right... as there's differing points of view within the team, you know, they they all serve a purpose with each other. Yeah. And he oh man, Tony just I do feel a little bit more for Tony now. Um because Civil War is just so interesting because I don't really think either one of them is right or wrong. It's just two different right. ways to come at a situation like Tony wants to save the world and keep his friends safe. But Cap is like, you don't understand if we also try to protect the civilians, our friends will die because their secret identities right. will be public. At least it's, that's that a is, little bit more heavy in the comic book than it is in civil book. war. But yeah. Anything else in regards to Tony within this movie? I just forgot how much art kind of imitates life with Robert Downey Jr. and how much I loved Tony Stark you know because if you're sitting and you're watching them constantly like we were when these movies were still coming out it's easy for me to just get a little burnt out but I think so many people are trying to write characters the way that they were able to write Tony who are just like really irreverent and flippant comments left and right and it just doesn't come across as naturally as it does for Tony and I don't know if that's Robert Downey Jr. making it his own or a combination of him and the writers 
but it's just incredible. Yeah, yeah I think he's he, I think he's great in this. And what's also kind of funny, and I want to kind of segue into the next character I want to talk about, is, you know, this is not the first time that he has been on the screen with James Spader. And he was in the movie <laughs> in the late 80s when he was still a teen star. They were both teen stars at this point called Less Than Zero. And it's a crazy movie. Um, but it's their their characters are so intertwined within this that movie. And you get to see the similarities even between them as they're both charismatic presences on the screen. What you know, in, in other movies and then also obviously in the MCU. I think James Spader and his voice is so great for this role. It wasn't what I would picture based upon Ultron in the comic books, but I don't think I would want anybody else to voice the character of Ultron, you know? Yeah. Now that I've watched it again so recently, it's a little tough for me because I love James Spader as Daniel Jackson in Stargate. And he's just so gentle as, as Daniel that it's, when I'm used to characters like that and then watching them be a bad guy, sometimes well, it's just, like, also, really tough. Watch, have you ever watched but the show The Blacklist? I've seen a couple scenes when you were watching it, and that is also very yeah, disconcerting for me. Yeah, he got this role me. of Ultron, I feel like, really based upon that performance there on that show. Yeah. And it's so good. His His voice is just, like, smooth butter which if you look at older james spader you wouldn't really expect but i agree with you like thinking back on it now because i kind of agree about james brolin and thanos but i wouldn't recast either one of those characters at all and yeah i think i he's not exactly the look from the comic book i would have actually preferred a little bit closer to the look because i think he has such a creepy cool um look to him you know um but it's it's fine it's you know the movies are always going to make different um make a little changes here and there to characters um oh i just googled it yeah it's a little bit more Mm. mean i like the look of the head a little a little bit more but yeah i like in the movie that they went for his persona ending up in one of tony's like unfinished yeah Project. Yeah, one of the Iron Legion characters. I liked that a lot, and it was it was creepy too, with like the exposed wires. When and, he was first walking in there, kind of some, like stiff and yeah. Oh, yeah. such good animation! It was wild, and the way that he just hits some of those lines, like the cadence yeah. of his voice, so creepy. Yeah, it's, it's so good. I forgot about the po- I forgot about oh, yeah. the Pinocchio yeah. thing. And that was so it. creepy. And he um he has this chance while that first attack that he makes on the Avengers team of attacking um Dr. Cho and he chooses not to because he realizes, oh, I'm gonna use this scientist lady later. Um and he also says, You wanna protect the world, but you don't wanna see it changed. How is humanity saved if it isn't allowed to evolve? And huh. that's like Marvel does so good with these villains who have a really good point, but are ultimately like doing it in a way that we yeah. would consider wrong. And I think it's so interesting, like seeing his motivations more and more, because you know who I actually kind of compare him to as a prolific villain on the screen? Um, 
and, I, and this is my, I'm going to say that I'll, I'll say why. And I'll get back to who I love the moment where he, you know, Andy Serkis's claw compares him to Iron Man. Cause he said some kind of turn of phrase. I was like, I heard Iron Man said that before you must be one of his and he get Ultron gets upset being compared to Iron Man and he ends up cutting off claws arm and he's like, Oh, Oh, oh no, no, that, that, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. <laughs> but it's, it's that moment where it's like, you know, he reminds me of, cause he's acting like a baby. He's acting very childish. You know, he reminds me of Ben from lost. <gasps> oh my goodness. No, but Ben is so much smarter. Smarter? This is like, an AI. Ben. Yeah, but like, I really feel like Ultron was like acting like a baby because yes. he was offended. But like, Ben does not genuinely act like a baby until Jacob like breaks yeah. his heart. And because I feel like every time up until then that Ben acts like he's weak, he's doing well, it on we can, purpose. We can talk about Ben more. I I have other I have points <laughs> that would back me up in regards to that, but yeah. Oh, I could talk. I could talk about Ben Linus all I day. He's him. my I do favorite. Um, but here's here's another question that I had. Um, so there there's there's a couple nitpicky things that I have with this movie. It's, it's some of it does center around Ultron. Okay. How right. can a robot use a staff to control minds? And what would choking out a robot <laughs> with you know, your arm and, around him and he has a choke hold around him, what would that do to a robot? And then also later on in the movie, <laughs> when he has like this hive mind with all the other robots, right? The other um, Ultrons, they would run like wimps after seeing the Hulk fight and like do something crazy you know what i mean like they're they would oh yeah i never it's even a little thought nitpicky, about that. but i was a just choke, like a chokehold on a robot would only be effective if the chokehold was strong enough to sever the cables that connected its robot skull right, to its right. robot yeah. body it's just like i don't i don't get it you know what I mean? There's there's some things within that. I'm like, I feel like the scene where Cap is having him in a little bit of a chokehold. I'm like, would Cap be like, why or Chris Evans? Why am I doing this, Joss? You know, this doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. You know, I don't know. I think it was it, those are questions that got me thinking. Like he uses the staff on Doctor Cho when he goes to Korea, and and it kind of controls her mind to be you know working with him. But like he also got his power. I wonder. He got his existence out of the staff. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I don't know. I wonder if the Mind Stone is because like human thoughts are electricity. That is a great question for us to just talk about over dinner sometime. Because like now I'm actually yeah. thinking about it. it. I think it's. It's one of those things that kind of stood out to me from the movie that I'm just like, this takes away a little bit, but is it really that important? The staff, if you're going off of human thoughts, like the the thoughts from our brain that control like your fingers and your it's all electrical pulses. So the staff, I could let it go, but the other yeah. two are pretty yeah, silly. I think that's, that, again, that's just kind of the, some of the things that kind of bug me a little bit. 
Um, but I think also, you know, as we're going to, I want to transition into vision a little bit that, but it's also kind of Ultron talk, that exchange of dialogue between Ultron and vision at the very end when there's only one Ultron left and he can't escape through the internet. They have this conversation and vision says humans are odd. Oh no, no, this is, um, this is Ultron. He says humans are, no, who says it? Well, I guess it was vision. Humans are odd. They think that order and chaos are somehow opposites. And they try to control what... Yeah, that was But there is grace in their failings. Um, And then he says, yes, but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them talking about Mm -hmm. humanity. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that. That's some of the, like, the superhero dialogues for me that always stand out the most when it comes to like superheroes being an elevated version of, of what a a hero, you know, I think obviously there's spiritual connotations that I take from that and that I, that I think is awesome, you know, in which a hero Mm -hmm. is going to be almost this God figure, you know? And so I, I, there's things with the first wonder woman, some of the dialogue in that usually things from cap usually strike that kind of chord with me and other things. But this dialogue here really just kind of, um, I thought was wonderful. Yeah. But shall we talk about Vision as he was the Vision of Ultron and he kind of came out of Ultron and he was a new addition as far as a hero to the to the team? Sure. I don't have a whole heck of a lot okay. of thoughts about Vision. Um, you know in later Marvel movies I've found myself the most annoyed by Wanda and Vision which is why I was so delighted to get to the end of this movie and be excited but I'll probably I'll probably I had a friend remind me that I think what actually annoyed me is the scene in Infinity War where they've run away together and I just could not remember what movie that was in well I think one thing that's but that's maybe part of the conversation for WandaVision yeah, a little save bit more. our thoughts and our expectations on what that's going to be like for the later part of this week. But I think what's great about this with having Paul Bettany play Vision is that Paul Bettany has been in the MCU just as long as Robert Downey Jr. has been Iron Man. And so yeah. to bring him into the role to play Vision after playing Jarvis is so great. And I thought it was a wonderful choice. It just... The way they set up Vision, it just, it's the only yeah. thing that makes sense. Because if Vision is going to be built out of the Mind Stone, the body that Ultron wanted, and the scraps of Jarvis, I feel like Tony would not let that coincidence slip right. him by. Because in some instances, Jarvis is one of the only constant things in Tony's life other than Pepper. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think they all have so much affection for Jarvis, but Tony, the most of all, like Jarvis is almost a person to all of them. Well, it's also super interesting. I, I feel like we keep kind of going out of the movie itself and it's hard not to, but I think another thing that's interesting is when you look at the, um, the old series that was um, on ABC of Agent Carter, 
there was the butler character named oh. Jarvis who was the butler to Howard yes. Stark. And so you Yeah, I so you forgot. have this character that I obviously Tony when he created Jarvis the AI he means a lot to him. Somebody who he was close to, you know. So which is good because that's who Jarvis is in and the comic books. He is the butler of the Avengers. Something else I meant to say at the top of the show and forgot. I think it makes perfect sense that we keep bringing in other pieces of Marvel content because about halfway through the movie, it hit me that Ultron is almost like the hinge of the Infinity Saga. It like all of the pieces start becoming a little bit more obvious how they fit together. And then it starts introducing Wakanda and more of the idea mm-hmm. of the Infinity Stones and Civil War. And it's just like, it's yeah. a turning point. So it like, you almost, now that we've seen the whole saga beginning to end, you yeah. almost can't uh, talk about it without relating it yeah, to the it's, it's It's true. It's definitely a challenging thing for sure. Um, another thing that I love though, when we first see Vision, when he bursts out of this cradle, as they call it, is the way that he moves and how graceful his motions are. And then I'm like, at first I'm Mm. like, I don't know if I like the look. And then he looks at Thor and he sees his cape and then he creates (laughs) a cape for himself off of his, you know, off of his body. And I'm just like, there are so many beautiful little moments like that in this movie. Like the one that stuck out to me the most was when Cap gets, um the hammer to move ever so slightly and uh chris um oh my god chris just blank wow chris hemsworth gets this utter look of fear (laughs) on his face and it just they are all so good like they've all inhabited their characters for so long that it's all like it's just all so beautiful you can start to really see we, we'll get yeah we'll, we start to see chris hemsworth have a lot more fun with the character in this movie but anyway yeah. about again he, you know and they're they're kind of questioning him and they're trying to understand and he goes all right, okay are you like ultron and he goes i'm on the side of life ultron isn't there's no way for me to make you trust me but we gotta go and he picks up the hammer which is just the perfect way of yes. showing and saying like okay, this guy is for real. This guy is legit. You can trust him. He's good. You know, which was established before. You know what I mean? With You don't get that payoff yes. if you didn't have that scene earlier within the movie, you know? Well, and you, and you also, like, if you think about it, Vision is the, the 2.0 version of the software. He's the software yeah. without all the yeah. bugs in it. So, like, it it makes sense. Like he, I think one of my friends said to me this week that he saw online that someone reasoned, you know, how could an AI pick up the hammer? And it's like, because his intentions are completely neutral. There's no way for him to be unworthy. But an elevator, can an elevator lift it up? That's the question. Um, (laughs) You want to keep moving? You want to talk about some kind of other interesting things? Okay. Well, yeah, um, what's the next one? Because we talked about Vision, I feel like it might be an apt, okay time for us to talk about Wanda and Pietro. The, the other two additions to the Avengers here, um, they're such interesting characters in the comic books as well because 
you know, they're Avengers, but also X-Men characters. The X-Men comics are where they're first introduced and they work for Magneto. So they're kind, but they're also, you get the sense that they're kind of forced into serving Magneto. So there are these sympathetic villains, but what's interesting about them in the Avengers is that, you know, when we first see the Avengers in the comic books, we see Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, um, and Hank and uh, Hank Pym and um, Janet Van Dyne. And so that's really all who the Avengers are. And then a few issues later, we get, um, well, Hulk leaves and Captain America comes in. And then what actually happens is uh, maybe 10 or so issues later, everybody else leaves and they kind of go back to their own title. So Thor um, leaves and, and Iron Man leaves and the Pims leave and we have Captain America and he has this new team of Avengers that he has to lead now. And it's um, Hawkeye and then also Quicksilver and Wanda or Scarlet Witch. And so I think it's just an interesting thing to kind of look at as see these guys coming in as a next generation of some sort, you know? I adore Quicksilver. Know almost nothing about him. I just love this actor so much. Like, I think he's so... I just love the personality that he gave to Pietro. Like, adore it. And... Aaron Taylor Jones. Having... mm, Having not seen this since it came out, I had forgot... Like, I am so frustrated with Wanda's character in the movies and she reminds me a lot of how I feel about Jean Grey in the X-Men movies in that she's such a powerful superhero and has such an interesting story and personality but it's like the writers didn't really get her and especially with Jean Grey and in the years since Ultron originally came out and when I sat down to rewatch it, I had attributed, like I had also applied that to Wanda. And I, now that I've rewatched it, I think that's more the fault of civil war and infinity Mm -hmm. war, because I don't think it's fair to Wanda that at that point, her story is just bubbled down to how she, how her and vision interact because My exposure to Wanda previous to this movie was Secret War and Avengers Disassembled, which leads into House of M, which I haven't read. But but House of the whole conflict in House of M is an alternate universe invented by Scarlet Witch and Magneto. But then in Avengers Disassembled, Scarlet Witch is the first to leave the Avengers because she feels so utterly guilty about her actions previous to that storyline. And it brings up conversations of mental health and her guilt and her value as an Avenger. And she just has, there's just so much to give her. I'm suspecting that that's what we're going to see a lot moving forward with the show of WandaVision. I think to kind of some of my problems with the character a little bit, and I honestly don't dislike her, you know, actually watching this with Jess, um, watching through them, through all the movies in the last couple of years, Wanda is actually her favorite character. Um, 
she's amazing in Ultron, and I had completely forgotten about it. She's so powerful and so quick on her feet. And you get little glimpses of that. Like when Hawkeye tells her, it's okay if you don't want to do this. It's okay if you're scared. But if you get up and you walk out that door, you right. have to commit. Me too. I think and I a, loved a it. Great moment. But there's there are problems that I have with her in this movie. Primarily, again, kind of what hen- ends up happening with her later on, you know. But I think I, I they start her off in this as being kind of gothic to some degree, and I think also like yeah, as you kind of watch further on, and even as I look at trailers for Wandavision. There's no accent. So they really pulled that back her accent more and more and more as the movies kind of went on and endless, you know, starting with the series now too. And I'm just like, okay, that's not very, that's not very consistent. And I think, you know, honestly, for me, I think I look at Joss Whedon in regards to that. And also another thing, they never use her mind warping powers again within the movies. It's used only in this movie. And then basically in the rest of them, she's just a telekinetic, which I think is maybe a problem that I have with the movies that follow. But I do really resonate with her arc, with her envision in this, because it is such a big part of um, the comic books is the two of them. But I think we're going to start really going further into that mental health stuff that you mentioned um, in WandaVision and then also following WandaVision because she's going to be in the next Doctor Strange movie, which I think are going to be is going to be very oh, cool. key things that you're hoping for. I just wish there was a little bit more consistency throughout the movies in regards to the character. Right. Consistency, I think, is you nailed it with that because re-watching this movie I was like oh she's like yeah. kind of a big deal and oh it breaks my heart every time the like the connection between her and Pietro yeah. and when he dies and just and then she walks out of the door and she just is like shooting yep. things left and right and it was very reminiscent of that scene in Wonder Woman to me where she climbs out of one of the foxholes and just starts like walking yeah. across no man's land. It's like that's a woman and, that means and, business. And with that too, we get the fake out with um we think that Hawkeye is gonna be the one who goes, you know, down in this movie and die, but we're, we're switched with Pietro and which is so interesting. And I think he actually might be coming back to the for the show, um, possibly. Um but okay. we'll see. I think also I heard that maybe Evan Peters, who plays um Quicksilver over in the the X-Men movies he might be coming over to the show too so there might be some interesting things I was like is there I was like is there not a scene where he puts his headphones in and he runs around and like messes up a bunch of people's stuff in the X-Men okay yeah (laughs) and I just I love Pietro and Hawkeye's relationship like Hawkeye's completely disgruntled attitude yeah, sure. toward this kid. But then, you know, he ends Love up... It. Pietro ends up giving his life in order to save, you know... Oh, and that that last shot of Pietro in the whole movie, where Hawkeye has laid him on the floor of the shuttle, and he's so exhausted yeah. that he just collapses on the bench above I, him. I kind of oh, just wish, though, tears. there was one more scene within the movie that was kind of between Hawkeye and Wanda kind of around everything with Pietro because you get that kind of three stages, you know what I mean? With 
with Hawkeye and, and Pietro early on. You have the the moment, the fight later on between them when they're back at Stark Towers or wherever. And then you also have this ending. And I feel like they just needed something else to really... Because Hawkeye and Wanda have a really interesting relationship in this. And we also see that in Civil War. But I yeah. want to see that a little bit more breathed out at the end of this, you know? And also, I do have to say, she left her post. She yeah, did. That, that annoyed me a little bit. I had, and I was just like, okay, so <laughs> now because of her, this comment is actually running down. Wanda, you had one um, job. And there's only one other thing I want to say about her. That final moment, as we kind of see the new Avengers team coming together, and we get this final shot of her as she's kind of like, you're seeing War Machine and you're seeing Vision, and then it goes to her. She does not look like herself at all. Did you notice that? Like her, the makeup, the angle, the, the, the maybe it was the post effects. I don't know what it was, but she did not look like herself. Mm-hmm. They they seem to like as good as Marvel's um character development is, they seem to struggle with their women characters a little bit. And I wonder if that's like a similar situation to Captain Marvel where that scene was maybe filmed quite separately from the maybe. rest of the movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like like months before, yeah. months later. Because that's that's why Captain Marvel is such a confusing yeah. character for people. Yeah. We'll definitely I'll definitely have to have you on once we talk about Captain Marvel for the podcast for sure. Um, well, let's let's talk about two other characters. I think their story arcs really like flow together, and I think it'd be just easier to talk about both of them um, than it would be separately. But I want to talk about Mark Ruffalo's Bruce or the Hulk, and then also Scarlett Johansson's Natasha Black Widow. Um, because they they have an interesting arc within this. And what's interesting too about these Avengers movies, you know, we have the Iron Man movies and we have the Thor movies and we have the Captain America movies. But at this point, like it was really the Avengers movies that we were able to get any kind of arc of the Hulk, of Black Widow, and we'll talk about yeah, Renner's Hawkeye in a minute as well. They're they're still leaning pretty heavy on the other two Hulk movies for him aren't they well the the one with um eric banna that came out in the early 2000s really have nothing to do with the mcu but the one with edward norton where mark ruffalo takes over the role is considered a part of the mcu um mm. so yeah i lean into that one a little bit more i do have some thoughts about hawk uh not i do have lots of thoughts about hawkeye you know i love him but that's i meant to say the hulk okay um i i one of the opinions that did not change for me between 2015 and I'm now. Ready. I know what it is, but keep going. I am so flipping annoyed with how empty the setup for the Hulk and Natasha feels. You feel like it's empty? Like, it just feels so forced to me. Okay. Like, they're just like smush. They have no one. Like we paired up everybody else. Let's smush them together. And I, mm, but I think it, re- wor- it really works for me in a cool way. But my one of my other thoughts about Hulk, I would have loved. It just hit me the other day. I would have loved to see more about how 
they came up with Hulk's lullaby. Ugh. See, this is the part I don't like. I dislike the lullaby very, very much. I just, I want to know how they came up with something that genuinely would calm the Hulk down into becoming, turning back into Bruce. I think it's more convenience than it is smart for the Oh, Oh, probably, but I'd love to see what kind of explanation they could come up with for me. They had to try different things. They're like, Tony's trying to do it, you know, (laughs) and Cap, and then... I mean, it is funny, too, also, that, like, well, if all else fails, we'll just beat him until he passes out. But that, my other point about the Hulk is that I feel like one of the only spots in this movie where I felt like you could have trimmed the fat is the scene where no one else can, like, the Hulk has just gone rogue. Yeah. And Tony has to deal with it. And that scene is just so long that I feel like you could have conveyed the urgency to calm the Hulk down, Bruce's guilt about losing control, and the property damage. You could have condensed it into a shorter scene. It just felt, in a movie as long as Ultron is, it just mm. felt like so much extra stuff. I hear but you. But the, the point of the scene is very important because without that scene and the aftermath the hulk taking stealing the quinjet makes yeah. no sense <laughs> well also him stealing a quinjet trying to fly it around also feels like it doesn't make much sense no um, but that's how you get him to that's how ragnar you know like yes, i know i know if you don't take that trajectory then ragnarok makes no sense i know i know i agree um but i, I um, think there's i i really dislike the lullaby in this I think, again, it's more convenience than anything. But I do like their drama as Bruce and Natasha. Because, you know, some of the lines they say about him, you know, she says, here comes the guy who spends his whole life avoiding the fight because he knows he'll win. And so there's Ooh, yeah. sadness within himself. And we see that at the that end of that battle that you mentioned. And then she says, also, he's a total dork. And I, I like, I think the chemistry is there. And I also... I, I remember back when we watched this movie before, you had some issues with the other conversation between them when they're at Clint's farm. But I think I like that better stuff. now. Okay, I was going to ask you. I was wondering. I in looking at it again now, I do think that conversation is much more important than I thought at the time. Mm. And I think what bothered me more this time around is how awkward their flirting was at Tony's party. <laughs> I liked that actually. That it is funny, but it's just let's like be honest, flirtation is awkward. Well yeah, and Natasha is just really terrible at it. And Tony is or not Tony, Bruce is completely clueless. You but think she's terrible at it? It was I thought it was painful. I mean, come on, Charlie <laughs> Johansson. I think she could just bat your her eyes at someone and then just well, fall okay. over. All right. Well, maybe to be fair, Natasha doesn't have practice because she is smoking. Right. Yeah. I but their conversation at the farmhouse is like Tony's fear of would he even be able to have a kid? Bruce's. Oh my gosh! Why do I keep doing this? It's okay. It's all good. So Bruce's fear of will I be able to have kids? Will I be able to control myself? What would even happen to a kid if I had one paired with 
my gosh, just the manipulation that Natasha went through as a child and her forced sterilization, which it just that amongst other things like Marvel has also nailed on the head how to get themes into this movie that well in any of their movies that are just so relevant to us now like what's going on in the world in general and just a conversation about like they not only did she have to go through all of this crazy training to be able to kill a person and the goal be to not care about it right she also had her entire future taken away from her without her consent which which i think also like within this i think when the movie first came out there it was a little bit in hot water because of this moment but i think it got kind of misconstrued as kind of saying oh because she got sterilized that's what makes her the monster you know but she's Mm. but i think what what is really it's saying you know i did this in order for me not to have any cares about anything more than the mission and so i just kill someone and that's what makes her the monster yeah i think i think that she's referring to the entire package of her as like she's killed so many people right and like and then here's just one more thing on top of it that is going to make me completely worthless to a, a regular non-superhero person. Sure. Wow. Um, and it's just, again, and it's just a small little dialogue that, you know, Bruce says, I have to leave. And this is obviously after his big fight where here's the Hulk. And this is what you feared the most that would ever happen is losing control. And he says, I have to leave. And she says, you assume I have to stay. Mm, you know i missed that i know that's a sucker punch i know and it's just like it's so sad i you know honestly where i have the biggest problem in this movie with what they do with um black widow is not the romance between her and bruce or the whole sterilization thing which i think you know like i said was was um a problem before when the movie first came out it's that they make her the damsel in distress later on, being the one who is captured, and then basically the one that needs to be saved. Which I feel like mm. how she acts, even around Ultron, is not true to who she is. You know what I mean? So I, I have mm-hmm. a problem with that. I feel like I don't know. I I I think it it was. I think you, the Joss Whedon or Feige or whoever is just like, well, we need somebody who has to be on the inside, who has to fill in on what the plan is or where they're where they need to go to take the fight and well it can't be a man it has to be black widow you know yeah that's a little problematic but then i also think she's another character that i think you could compare to ben linus that she's always three steps ahead of whoever's around her yeah so it would have been more useful for her to be the one to be captured in that she would she might not be able to strong arm her way out of a jail cell, but she'd be able to think her way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's interesting. It's interesting stuff, you know, and or, or she'd be able to mentally roll with what's happening around her is more what I meant. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I, I get you. I I'm, I'm with you for sure. But I, I think part of it is just like, why couldn't it have been Clint? You know what I mean? Or, then maybe you wouldn't have the moment with Hulk and 
uh, Natasha later on where he he breaks her out you know what I mean and you kind of she forces the Hulk back into action oh yeah that's a little bit of a girlfriend in the freezer moment a little bit yeah a little yeah it's true because her captivity while she isn't killed her captivity is she does have a little bit more agency than you would normally have in that situation in a movie character Mm-hmm. because she she is able to decide for herself i'm going to antagonize bruce into becoming the hulk because we need him yeah it's true but i i i can't help but laugh every single time i watch this movie and to see the hulk fly in the quinjet away it just it looks so, so clumsy silly. what's that so clumsy yeah it's, it's really i don't it... Just thinking about it makes me laugh. It's um, also like very like it's just always shocking to me that scene and Ragnarok when Bruce has figured out how to still have the presence of mind to make decisions for himself while yeah. he is the Hulk. Right. Yeah, it's interesting seeing his arc and how he's different throughout all the movies for sure. But um let's talk about the other, I feel like unsung hero, um, within this movie we got to talk about hawkeye oh praise yes unsung hero previously he hasn't had much play you know like in the first avengers movie he was just kind of a a minion to loki as there's the the mind control done on him but this we really get a greater sense of who he is as a character and i love that yes which i love the throwback to um the first time that the whole group runs into wanda and she is felling them one by one and he goes been there done that no thank you yeah exactly (laughs) and oh man i just i still have only made it through two volumes of matt fractions hawkeye but i just love how similar the attitudes between his hawkeye and um jeremy renner's hawkeye is like i love his attitude i love how grounded he is in the fact that he is not a mutant or a superhero he's just a guy that has bow and arrow a guy with a bow and arrow that has unworldly aim (laughs) and he just i had completely forgotten that this is the movie that has linda cardellini in it oh isn't she wonderful and i just like oh my goodness Clint's kids run at him and they go where's Auntie Nat and she yeah. just like m- she just melts Yeah, and I love it I love that Clint has a life and his deal with Nick Fury was that he got to he got to keep his life a secret yeah. and he, get, he gets to go home at the end of the day yep. and it makes it makes Endgame that much more heartbreaking yeah. for him but then I also did a little reading for his TV show. And yes. that's how you get where you're going with that one. Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting thinking about what that show is going to look like, because I do see very big differences between the comic book and that. And from the promotional material, it kind of looks like that. And also from the shots, we do see Kate Bishop. We do see pizza dog. Mm. So we'll see what happens. And I'm, I, I, I really, I'm a little bit worried because I don't want to see the aspect of his family life really mm. taken away from him for right. the series, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it really is beautiful and wonderful. And when you look at the first Avengers movie, some people were like, 
okay, is it Natasha and him? Do they have kind of a thing? No, so but she I calls love him. the fact that we learn what we learn in this about him. She says at one point, like, I almost lost my best friend. And she's talking about Hawkeye. Yeah. And yeah. I love it. Yeah, and they're... I also, when I found out that Kate Bishop was going to be in the TV show and that it was Haley Steinfeld, I just about lost my mind. Yeah, I, I love her. And I think she's going to be great within the role. Um, perfect for the role. She, like, um, she just looks like Matt Fraction's Kate Bishop. Totally. And I'm Absolutely. so excited. Um, the only other thing I really want to say about, you know, because I think what you got to say, we talked about where we think that he's going to die. You know, you see him talking throughout the last battle about how he's, you know, this is one last mission. You know what I mean? Or yes. how he has all this work that he needs to do on the house. And maybe I need to oh, change yeah. the room. But I, Isn't I, there a line in one of the other movies where Nat is like calling him out of retirement or something? Well, we see it in Civil War a little bit, but I, I still, again, talking about the relationship between him and his wife and their interaction. And she just, they get each other. She understands mm. who he is and she sees the lay of the land in such a great way. And she says, but I see those guys, those gods, and they need you, which is scarier. You need to be sure that this is a team, this, this team is really a team and that they have your back. And I just think that, you know, she's looking out for her husband, but she's also kind of scared because he is the one who brings true humanity to the team and right. grounds them in a way that I think is really perfect. And he knows this is what he, this, apart from him being good with a bow and arrow, this is what he brings to the team as a whole. Right. And she's smart enough and strong enough to realize the risk that she's taking yeah. in, in, continuing to let him be who he is yeah and i what i wanted more in that theme is that like i wanted him to say to wanda i need to know you have my back yeah that's true i wanted it to i wanted that call back in there not that i didn't not that i didn't love what he said to her but but you know his wife is right like that's Without him to be able to be like, Wanda, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do my job, but like kind of give her the impression that like, I, I still need you. Yeah. Like he, he's able to like, everybody loves him and they, he's able to like remind them like, we we're people too. We're not just like superheroes. Right. And kind of with that, I love where uh, Natasha says earlier on, pretending to need this guy really brings the team together, <laughs> which is funny, but it's kind of, I absolutely love them as like best friends. Yeah. And it just, it also makes that bit in Endgame so powerful where she's like, come on, Clint, like break out of it. Like we need you. Here's a good question. The Black Widow, we're still in the, the movie, and we're still anticipating it. Right now, it's slated to come out in May. And I haven't heard much about it. Do, we, do you think either. we see Hawkeye in the movie <gasps> as a cameo? Do you think we'll get to find out what happened in Budapest? <laughs> well, I think I, maybe. <laughs> maybe that would be interesting. The one fan callback that people have been dying for since 2012. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes those payoffs don't necessarily work out, you know, like, <laughs> That's like, true. like um, Nick Fury's eye, you know, for example. <laughs> but let's, I want to get to our final two characters. And, you know, these guys are just kind of throwaway characters. 
Oh. But it's Thor and Captain America. I like I believed you for a second. I was like I was like, oh yeah, who do we even have left? Is it is it kind of funny that these guys are definitely second fiddle to everyone else within the movie? I mean, Thor is really given nothing to do apart. He goes, he goes, he comes back, he learns about the Infinity Stones, he comes back. But as far as like character arc stuff, he doesn't have much to do in this. But like the real star of the movie is is the 30 seconds that Idris Elba as Heimdall. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And then the Scar, the Scarsgard dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stellan Scarsgard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. It was kind of, I guess, like, (laughs) yeah, that was like, have him do something. It's, it does make sense that of all of them, to like Tony takes his vision seriously in that it's his biggest fear, mm-hmm. but it makes sense that of all of them, Thor is the one that's like, This is prophetic, right? Right, and he says, I do love the line too, which is like, She tried to do something on me, but fortunately, I am mighty. And then you see, like, <laughs> his vision is getting away from him, and it's just kind of is funny to see, you know. It's just, and his is the one that makes the least amount of sense. Well, I mean, when you think about Ragnarok, it doesn't necessarily, mm. you know, you are the one who led us to hell, you know. Oh, yes. Sometimes I was talking to my family about this also over the weekend. I very routinely forget that Dark World was a thing. Oh, gosh. Yeah, me too. I'm, I, I, I don't like Dark World at all. Like, I remember that Natalie Portman's in it. And I remember that Loki does some weird things and then there's a spaceship at the end. Most of the time, I don't even think about that movie anymore. Yeah, it's not great. It's not good. Um, but yeah, again, there's not much for him to do in this. Um, Cap, I mean, the stuff with Cap in this is more the prelude um, to Civil War as you see him and Tony and their ideologies really coming they, off of each other, you know? They really start going at it in this movie, which to be fair, they haven't really had a lot of... I'm looking at the list again. They really haven't had a lot of opportunities to argue with each other yet because there's so much that happens in the first Avengers also. Yeah. And then Iron Man 3, Cap isn't even in at all. And then Winter Soldier, considering how much I love Bucky, it's impressive that I don't remember that much about it. Oh, it's my favorite. It's my absolute favorite. Yeah. You know, they haven't really, they like, it's zero to 60, like immediately Mm -hmm. for them in this movie that they still have each other's backs at this point. But they're really, really starting to rub each other the wrong way. Yeah, you know, and, and Cap gives the line, you know, whenever anyone tries to win a war before it starts, innocent people right. die. And it's it's interesting because Steve is a natural leader because his moral compass is just so true north. Yeah. And but Tony is the one who publicly has been given the job of being the leader of the Avengers. Well, also he's the biggest right now um, to the to the MCU anyway. Well, yeah, and it's just you see them kind of like Tony is funding the Avengers. Tony publicly is the face of the Avengers because he's kind of the only one who's not afraid of people finding out that he's Iron Man. Right, and 
but Steve is really like Hawkeye I think is kind of some glue there but Steve is really the one who's like no guys do your job we have to stick together so like now they're starting to realize that both of them are leaders and you can't have two alpha dogs and expect one of them to back down exactly exactly and you you have that moment where he rips the wood apart you're just like because he's just so frustrated and let's also just talk about for a second who the real unsung hero of this movie is are you gonna say are you can cut this part out but are you gonna say steve rogers butt i was gonna say steve (laughs) rogers t-shirt is what i was gonna say (laughs) That man can wear a t-shirt. I'll tell you. <laughs> like when he's out there chopping wood, you're just like, "Oh my gosh, Chris!" Evans, you can, whoa. you can cut this part out too. But every time I see um, a meme that says "America's ass" mm. over Chris Evans in the Captain America jumpsuit, I laugh really hard. Yeah, that's it's yeah. He's he's great. I think. Captain America is always my favorite, but he really, again, doesn't have much to do within this movie. Um, yeah. He was my favorite until they started introducing some of these tertiary characters, mm-hmm. because what I love about Steve is his drive to protect the little guy. Yeah. And to stand up for what's right. But now that you've started throwing in you learn more about Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch is here and then you're gonna get um Chris Pratt's character and um Tom Holland is coming in soon which I publicly would like to apologize for how much crap I gave you about Tom Holland because I love him now Hmm. I think you were still dreamy-eyed over uh, Andrew Garfield at the time I was so offended that they fired him but I it it works out because Tom Holland is so much he's not I think he's less than 10 years younger than Andrew Garfield but he's just so much more baby faced right well he's 24 at this point but he still looks like he's 18 you know but with what they want to do with Spider-Man now it makes so much more sense so kind of we got we're getting towards the end of the movie there's only one other thing I really want to point out um, as things kind of get disassembled a little bit and reassembled within the Avengers team, when Cap, Thor, and Tony are parting ways, Tony talks about wanting to build a farm. And then Cap says, he says um, how that desire went away 70 years ago. Oh, but what's beautiful yeah. about that, because you watch that and you recall what happens later with Endgame, and you see beautiful capstones to that you can't help but think and these things these moments and these lines get drawn out even further for us that maybe we didn't think about prior to endgame but now that we are post endgame it stands out even more yeah i normally when you retcon a whole series like they did with steve at the end of endgame it usually ticks me off pretty bad because I don't really think that's fair to us as fans or to your characters for everything that we've been through. But ever since the first Avenger came out, everyone has been heartbroken that Steve didn't get to be with Peggy. Right. And 
I, that kind of fan service does not even bother me at all because that's what we all wanted. Yeah, they, they get their endings. You know, I like that I've heard it said that Tony starts off selfish and he becomes selfless. And then Steve, who starts off selfless, gets to be selfish. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, and, and Bucky gets his redemption out of it, too. Right, right. Now, now, Terry, as we are kind of wrapping things up, there's, there's other things, other um, thoughts that I have. Um, I want to, though, get your final thoughts in your letter grade. Um, right. Or not letter grade, but your, you know, out of five-star ratings, what would you give this? Let me skim my notes here real quick, see if there's anything that I starred that we didn't get to talk about. Um, overall, it was way, way better than I remembered it being. Oh, and I thought another thing they did really well in this movie in general is their ability to show instead of telling, especially when they get Loki's scepter and Bruce and Tony are talking about their their pet project, right. Ultron. And there is not a five-minute monologue of exposition about oh, I've been working on this project that does blah, 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 blah. It's, they've clearly already talked about it and they're talking about the aspects of it and we learn exactly what Ultron is because they're showing right. us what he is. And I, they just did such a good job and the way they introduced Pietro and Wanda was really interesting. They just kept referring to this enigma, right. the twins, um, I thought that stuff is, and historically in Avengers movies, I feel like showing instead of telling, they generally do a really, yeah. really good job. Um, that was, yeah, that was the thing I wanted to say at the top of the show and forgot. Well, this is, they also, um, they tease Veronica in that moment as well. They mention her. They tease what was Veronica that? in that moment as well. But we don't get an idea of who is Veronica, what is Veronica, and that was the Hulkbuster. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's like baby Hulkbuster yeah. in that scene. Um. All right, my rating. I would like to publicly recant all of the bad mouthing that I did this movie in 2015. It was a lot better than I remembered. I think for a very long time Black Panther is going to be my favorite so if I'm operating off of Black Panther being a solid 5 out of 5 I would give Age of Ultron a 4.2 broken Captain America shields out of 5 wow okay well um, I hear you. I'm gonna I'm gonna give my star rating at the end here. My thoughts of this movie. Um, and I didn't I haven't mentioned a lot of the stuff. How my thoughts overall with this movie in comparison to all the rest of them, and what what I give, and how do I feel about it. But I kind of said from the top that it's kind of sat in the middle. And to be honest with you, that's kind of where it's gonna stay. Um, I it's probably my least favorite out of all the Avengers movies. You know, between the first Avengers movie, Age okay. of Ultron's infinity war and endgame but um 
it's there's things in this movie that's really grown on me, especially the the things as you as you look back and you you see the arcs of these characters and you look at where they finally arrive, especially Tony in Endgame. This movie is so important to his motivations and and how he feels and what he he needs and what he wants. But I think where I have a problem with this movie is again with the the concept and the idea of consistency that we saw with Wanda, but also in some other areas too. Um, I feel like Joss Whedon in directing this one had, he, he had too much to do and that's why it is um, longer than probably needs to be, but he also doesn't serve all the characters in the way that they probably need to be served within an Avengers movie that we see um, the Russo brothers valiantly do with infinity war and Endgame. Um, and I just, I think Joss Whedon is kind of showing a little bit of rust to to who he is in this movie. Um, I feel like some people get shortchanged. But also, I think, too, this movie starts to go very heavily into the quips. And it is so quippy and so Mm. funny. And there's so many funny lines. You know, there's another movie within the MCU has gotten criticism in regards to this, and that was Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And it added so much more quippy than the first one. Well, I feel that actually more so with this movie. This movie is far more yeah, they, they kind of than got... the original Avengers movie. And I think it's just trying to make up space. Um, I think both of those movies kind of got pigeonholed. Like, the first Avengers movie was pretty quippy. And so was Guardians of the Galaxy. So I think that reputation didn't really do them yeah, well. I think, I think for me... There's there's jokes within this that I feel like if you would have pulled those back a little bit more in order to tell stories, I think I would have been more interested in seeing Vision finally and seeing Wanda finally and, and Pietro. And so I think I just wanted a little bit more from this movie when I saw it and when I see it now. Now, you know, there's there's things that I really do like, like I said. So right now, I just got to say, I'm going to give it three out of five Mind Stones. So Ooh, yeah. that's pretty solid, not, I think, for some of the like, if you think about some of the flops, yeah. like Dark World and Doctor Strange. Oh, I like Doctor Strange. It's not so, so bad. That's definitely on my higher end. But we can. I like the I like the mood of Doctor Strange, and you know how much I love Benedict Cumberbatch, but um, I don't his know. arc in that movie um, as the hero journey actually resonates more for me than um, where it's like, I, I feel it in my own life in comparison to Tony's. So I relate to that a little bit more. Um, so is it, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we can talk about that more at a different point. Um, well, Terry, um, I just want for a, just a few minutes here, because we're going definitely long. Um, we watched this, in anticipation for WandaVision. Um, listeners, I do want to let you know that we are going to be breaking down every new episode of WandaVision as that comes out. Um, so next week, not only are we going to be talking about our main content stuff, but we will also be watching and talking about the the first um, two episodes, actually, because I think they're doing two of WandaVision um, next week. But Terry, where is your anticipation level? Just a couple minutes here. What do you think? Oh. How do you feel about WandaVision? Okay. So typically with stuff like this, out of combo, 
laziness and kind of wanting to be surprised, which I use wanting to be surprised as my ex- as my excuse for laziness. I hadn't looked into WandaVision that much because I wasn't excited about what they did with them in Civil War mm-hmm. and Infinity War. And so I finally looked it up today. I had seen part of the trailer and I was like, I don't understand what's happening here. I But I looked it up today and I'm actually very excited now for a few reasons. Um, it looks like... So if you've seen the trailer, it's black and white, very I Love Lucy style sitcom e laugh track kind of stuff so number one i'm excited because they're actually going with a 30 minute sitcom format instead of an hour long Mm -hmm. drama which is hysterical i'm so interested to see if it works or not and then they are also kind of the writer that they hired as the head writer um they gave them a bunch of comic material. So it looks like they potentially will be pulling in some of that House of M personality conversation with Wanda. So I'm excited to see what they do. But then it also looks like what I had assumed would be going on is that this was a mind thing that Wanda had invented out of her despair from losing vision and I was not happy but it the Wikipedia page for it kind of makes it sound like there is more to the story that it could potentially be a little yeah I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what they do because honestly where things you know leave off with vision particularly with the MCU when we last see him in Infinity War he's dead the, the mind gem is pulled out of his forehead by Thanos after this moment where Wanda, you know, basically has to sacrifice him in order to keep the stone away from Mm -hmm. him. And then Thanos turns back time, brings him back and then rips it out of him. And it's just like, Ooh, what crazy. So this will be the first time we've seen um, Paul Bettany's vision in a, in a quite a while. Um, So I'm going to be interesting to see what happens there. But also, you know, you mentioned disassembled Avengers disassembled, but I also want to say, Tom King's Vision, which was a miniseries that came out a couple that of was, years ago, seems very influential to this as well. That was the next thing I was going to say, because I wrote that down too, that it looked like from the Wikipedia page that what they used heavily for their influences were the 2019 run, The Vision, mm-hmm. and House of M. So I haven't looked up the vision yet. I was reading all of this on my lunch break today. It's and really just good. Didn't get to it. Um. Also, Monica mm-hmm. Rambeau is going to be a character, and for those playing along at home, Monica is the daughter of Carol Danvers' right, and best Captain friend. Marvel. Yep. <laughs> yes. So this will. Obviously, this is going to be post end game. So Monica is now an adult because Captain Marvel was like 91 yeah. or something. So it now that I have rewatched Ultron and actually looked into some of the idea for WandaVision just past what right. the trailer was, I'm actually I'm really excited. Kind of worried. And where I'm worried is. 
I, I, I almost wish, I know I really do wish that the actual first Disney plus MCU show was going to be Falcon and Winter Soldier. Cause I feel like that would have been a little bit more grounded. I feel like that might've been easier for people mm-hmm. to kind of go into because, you know, we just, the biggest hit that we've got in on Disney plus was the Mandalorian, which is pretty state straightforward and, storytelling. And I worry that there's gonna right. Be and Bucky, we're going to be, off-putted by the weirdness of this and the nonsensicalness of this that people right. are going to be like, well, you know, this is just MCU not being good anymore. But I'm expecting more of a psychological, thoughtful piece here. And I, I just worry that there's going to be some people who are not ready for this and therefore are not going to be able to see it for what it is. And this is obviously, maybe I'm, I'm yeah. wrong. Maybe I'm not even going to enjoy it as much as I'm hoping that it's going to be. But, you know, we'll just have to see. Well, well, that's an interesting point that you bring up with Falcon and Winter Soldier also, is that Bucky, I don't know if it's because of Sebastian Stan or what, but he is, at least on my demographic section of the internet, among my friends Bucky is such a fan favorite that it does make sense to get the ball rolling with a character that has as big of a following as he does to follow without it being being all like mystical and psychological and right but I mean maybe it won't be as wonky as it could be it does I think it does have a lot of potential to be like a very psychological premise just having read what I read today but I'm more worried to see how they find a balance between putting in classic sitcom tropes paired with the seriousness Mm -hmm. of a comic book show you know because Marvel is lighter than DC but it's still not like men in black level comic book adaptation yeah we'll we'll have we'll have to see i it's going to be interesting to to see what happens after this week okay so listeners this is going to pretty much wrap us up for this week's episode terry thank you for coming on oh thank you for asking me to to talk about a marvel movie i haven't gotten to do that in a very long time um, i think you're going to be excited to hear this and um, i'm going to tell listeners what we're going to be watching for next week All right, Extremers, let me tell you about what we're going to be doing for next week's show. Um, It's January, and so it's the beginning of the year, and I thought, you know, it would be a perfect time as everything is new. (laughs) You know, we're still in COVID, but there is a sense of newness that I like every year starting in January. And so with that, I thought, you know, let's start with first, you know, Um, I wanted to talk about a memorable first for Disney. And, and how could we not talk about the most memorable thing Disney has ever done, which is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? So we're going to be going back on the way, 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 way back machine to look at Disney's first animated feature, Snow White. So to do this, I'm going to welcome on my guest, Melody Gibson. You remember her from before when we talked about Mulan. And then also she came on to help me talk about one of my favorite movies, the Muppet movie. 
Um, so she's coming on, and we're going to have a great time, obviously, as we talk about this classic animated film. And then also, you can stick around to the end of the episode, because me and my wife, Jess, we are going to be watching the first two episodes of WandaVision. Um, Jess has very much said that this is a show she's super excited about, because Wanda Scarlet Witch is one of her favorite characters within the MCU. And it's also pretty crazy. Oh, you know what? I'll save it. I'll save it for the next week's episode. So stick around um, for next week and we'll catch up and we'll watch those shows and movie then. All right. Bye-bye.